Let's get this journey started in Exodus 25 tonight. Exodus 25. From the first two lessons of this series, we have learned the physical furniture of the tabernacle in the Old Testament foreshadows greater spiritual realities about the church of the new covenant in Christ Jesus. Let's, let's see this one more time. The physical furniture of the tabernacle in the Old Testament foreshadows greater spiritual realities about the church of the new covenant in Christ Jesus. Let's contrast the beginning of that sentence with the end. First of all, old, new, physical, spiritual, tabernacle, church. And as a reminder, the church, it ain't a building. And then this one, most important, make sure you don't miss this, the beginning of that sentence, not a word about Christ Jesus, and the end of that sentence, all of it made possible in Jesus Christ. It's all because of Jesus. As we set foot onto the grounds of the tabernacle, we encounter in the outer courtyard first the altar of burnt offering. First, our lesson last week. This reminds us that it all must start with the sacrifice of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. First, without that start, we don't have anything else. As we then move forward, we next come to the bronze laver. This teaches us that the church must then be cleansed. Foremost in our minds, we likely think of what God accomplishes at baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, now that the sin of God's people has been completely addressed, the church can draw near to God. The church can resemble God, have fellowship with God, see God, be friends with God, dwell with God. Do you get the picture? In old tabernacle terms, this is now entering the tent itself into what is called the holy place. As we come inside, leaving the darkness of the night behind us, our eyes are immediately drawn to the light in the room coming from a golden lampstand or candlestick. It is the lampstand which will get our full attention this evening. The Jews call it a menorah. Indeed, that is the Hebrew word for lampstand that we find in our main text in Exodus 25. And this light-providing tabernacle original, that one is the inspiration for the nine-branch, not seven, nine-branched candelabras found in today's Jewish homes during Hanukkah. As it turns out, a vast number of commentators mention this image right here from a historical monument as being perhaps the most accurate portrayal of what the actual golden lampstand of the tabernacle would have looked like. And I want you to remember 
this because you're going to see it again later. Our main text tonight spans 10 verses, Exodus 25, 31 through verse 40. But I think it's best if we do what all of the cool movies do, and that is start at the end. In verse 40, we observe that the Lord commands Moses and see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. Now, God is very particular about the construction of all the tabernacle furniture, including the golden lampstand. All of his instructions should be carefully followed. And when it comes to our study, I think this shouts one thing above all else, and it's this. Every single detail about that old golden lampstand might matter. Every single one might tell us something, might communicate some relevant truth over here later about God's plan for the church in Christ Jesus. So pay close attention to the pattern, and tonight let's note as many of the details as time will allow, and even better, Let's take a minute to draw those details together. If you got a sheet or if you don't get a scrap sheet of paper out, here we go. Detail number one. The whole of the lampstand will be made of a single piece of hammered work. One single piece of hammered work. Think about that for a moment. The whole lampstand is just one piece, not a piece from here and there. Think about, can you imagine the skill the Lord gave to a man named Bezalel to make such a thing? So, if you've got pen or pencil ready, to symbolize this effort, we will draw the outline of our lampstand without lifting, one time, our pen or pencil. Let me show you what my best effort looked like, something like that. I'll give you a moment to kind of, we'll, we'll come back to this image in a moment, but I want you, you can start at the bottom, whatever you like to do. A single piece of hammered work. A single piece. All one piece. Soak that in. You can keep drawing as you listen as we talk about detail number two. You shall make the lampstand out of pure gold. So coming back to our picture, the way we're going to in our picture, the way I did, to illustrate that it's pure gold is we're just going to put those little shiny things that make things look shiny all around the picture. Or if uh, we, have any, we have any Bob Rosses here, we're going to add a little yellow ochre right there to the, uh, to the lampstand. If you actually have yellow ochre with you, that's really awesome, by the way. Detail number three. There are three cups made like almond blossoms on each of the branches, and on the main center stand itself, there are four almond blossoms. So the way, I'm not, I'm not a complicated guy, very simple when it comes to drawing, to depict the almond blossoms, three on each branch, each of these side branches, we're just going to put little circles, three here, three here, three here, three here, three here, three here, and the text tells us there are four almond blossoms going up that main stand. So at each of the intersections, we're going to put one, and then we'll put one, a fourth one at the top. And so there we go. 
Hope you're keeping up. Detail number four. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. So above each of these branches, we're going to put a light. Nothing fancy, just something that makes it look like there's a little flame coming up out of those branches. And so we put it all together. There's our seven flames. How'd you do? I hope you did a little better than me. You can continue working on your drawing. I want you to absorb all the details because we need to talk about them. This is my way of trying to get you to get them. Now, in the first chapter of Revelation, the Apostle John beholds the spectacular glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus is standing among, of all things, seven golden lampstands. Seven. Then out of the mouth of Jesus himself, out of the mouth of Jesus himself, among the letters in red, he tells John what the lampstands represent. He says, the seven lampstands are the seven churches that we just did a roundtable about. In other words, John, you see lampstand, think church. Remember the statement with which we began. Greater spiritual realities about the church in the new covenant in Christ Jesus. So, therefore, what Jesus is telling John in Revelation fits perfectly with what we, our continued thought has been from the beginning of this series. I don't think it's a stretch to say that the golden lampstand can tell us something about the Lord's plan for the church universally, the church congregationally, and even the church individually, a message for each and every one of us. But to get the fullness of that message, we need to dive into the details. Detail, again, number one. The whole of the lampstand will be made of a single piece of hammered work. So let's take this detail and apply it to God's plan for the church. What message does this? The whole is a single piece. Convey to you about the vibe of the church, the spirit of a congregation. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, in what context have you heard those words taught to you or preached to you? I don't know if it was their intent, but at times growing up, what I perceived to hear from some preachers, what I perceived, just my perception, what I perceived to hear from some preachers was something like the following. We, we, we got the one. And them over there, they don't. So nanny nanny boo boo. And then I'm not exactly sure of the exact precise wording, but it would then sound a lot like the Oprah show from then on. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're all going to hell. There aren't two or three or four. There's only one. And we are the one, not them. That's the way I took what was being said. So please understand what was happening some were using Paul's words here in Ephesians 4, 4-6 to only further divide, only 
further divide and damage an already greatly splintered Christendom, if I can use that term. Words penned for the sake of unity were misused for the corrupt cause of disunity. I mean, I'm not going to read through the verses that come right before, but I mean, just look at this stuff. This is an apostle who is in prison, practically on his knees, begging a congregation to get along, be unified, be one single piece. Why? Because there's one body and one spirit. Why? Because our Lord prayed that all who believe on Him would be one. Why? Because the pattern describes that the whole of the lampstand is meant to be one single piece. Detail number two. You shall make the lampstand of pure gold. Immediately when I think about gold, I think about something having incredible worth. Jesus tells a brief story about something like that, something having incredible worth. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. It seems only natural for me to assume that Jesus is challenging me to be the merchant in the story. And maybe there's something to that, but maybe that's not it at all. I mean, Jesus nowhere says, Craig, if you're reading this, you're the merchant in this story. I hope you know that. Could it be that the merchant instead represents Jesus himself? He who left the ivory palaces, who emptied himself of equality with his father, who gave up everything he had, even himself, even his own life, in order to obtain the church of God with his own blood. That is how much the kingdom, the church, is worth to Jesus. It is like gold to him. May we learn to appreciate and cherish the church as well. Truly, the idea that the church is golden in the eyes of our God, it brings a smile to our faces. But the idea that... It is pure gold. Pure, it might bring a little consternation, anxiety, worry. The refining of gold takes place in the fire, which, as the Apostle Peter explains in 1 Peter 1, results in grief for the church as it experiences various trials. He continues later, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. The, the purity of the gold of the lampstand is a reminder that the church will endure trials unique to only those devoted to the cause of Christ. So don't be surprised, but also don't be dismayed because the good stuff is on the way at the revealing of Jesus. 
The lampstand, the church, is of pure gold. Or we may say it this way. Jesus loves you right where you are. That's gold. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. That's pure gold. Detail number three, those beautiful circles, the almond blossoms. Why? I mean, think about this. God could choose from anything, any design he wants. Why almond blossom design on the golden lampstand? Well, the people of Israel grumble and ask a different question. They ask, why Aaron? Why the house of Levi? What makes them so special to serve as priests to our God? And in response, the Lord, in what might be described as his kind of supernatural science experiment, makes Aaron's staff sprout, put forth buds, produce blossom, and bring forth ripe almonds. It's a sign that God chooses, that God chooses, chooses Aaron and the house of Levi. They're his priests. Now don't, I know we've been fast-forwarding a lot. We've been taking messages and fast-forwarding, but I don't want you to do that. I want you to take that message and hit the rewind button. Because God chose us, the church. God chose us, the church. Rewind before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. By the way, there's your pure gold at the end of that verse. hope you can see that. God chose us. And Peter shouts that the church is a chosen race. Just like he chose it, chose us. A chosen race, a royal priesthood. Why? Why? Why did you choose us? The church. We may ask God. The end of that verse. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. I mean, look at that with me. If you look at the end of that, it just oozes lampstand imagery. A question, are you doing what God's chosen you to do? Even more, the almond tree blooms before almost every other tree in the midst of winter. In California, you can find its white and light pink blooms in as early as mid-February. Now, what might that symbolize? What might that mean? As you ponder that, let me show you. I don't know, you've got to have your, your binoculars on maybe here. This right here is the single Hebrew word that is translated as cups, made like almond blossoms in our main text. It is the Hebrew word shakad. And it's interesting to note that the same Hebrew word, the same spelling, same pronunciation can also mean to wake, watch, awake, be alert. Huh. In fact, take a look at this one, well, it's a couple of verses from Jeremiah chapter 1. This is really something. And observe how the Lord uses this word play. He's so clever. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond, shakad branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over, watching over, shakad, my word to perform it. That's pretty neat. Thus the Lord sees an, a, a connection here between almonds and watchfulness. The Hebrew language 
has this built-in connection between almonds and alertness. Nature, in the early bloom of the almond tree in winter, has this connection between almonds and the idea of being ready. But can we say the same thing about the church? About you. Are you awake? Are you alert? Are you watching? Are you ready? The devil, he's prowling around like a roaring lion. Are you ready this very moment right now for the coming of our Lord? Because it might not be in the season that many expect. Detail number four, the seven lamps, the seven lights. In the beginning, God attributes a blessing and a holiness to the seventh day. The number reappears in the years of plenty and famine in Egypt. And when Israel marches around Jericho, we see seven. But in the Jewish mind, seven serves as a number expressing totality or completeness or enough. After all, seven days finishes, completes a week. A diseased person remains in quarantine for seven days. That's enough. Jacob must work seven years for Rachel. That's enough. And the priest sprinkles blood for the sin offering seven times. And so thinking about this, you understand Peter was like, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times, Jesus? Because to him, to the Jews, seven times was enough. Therefore, while God occasionally uses the number seven for his glorious purposes, in a more broad sense, seven communicates completeness very often. If the lampstand represents the church and seven represents the idea of total completeness, then what does the light represent? What light does or should the church have in fullness, in completeness? I don't know if we can be sure, but I can share with you the possibilities, at least a few, that the church, the light is Jesus. After all, he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. That makes sense. So can we say that the fullness of Jesus, the sevenfold fullness of Jesus shines forth from this church, this congregation? Jesus was full of both grace and truth. Can we say the same thing about us? Or the light could be the word of God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light. Your word is a light unto my path. So if we're using the idea of completeness, then we might say that the church huh, is already in possession of all of God's revealed Word. But can we say about this congregation that all of God's Word is fully proclaimed, all of it? Or do we avoid the uncomfortable parts? Or the light is the complete Spirit of God. John compares the Holy Spirit to seven burning torches of fire in Revelation 4-5. While we might apply this in many ways, can we truthfully say that all of the fruit of the Spirit, the totality, the completeness of the fruit of the Spirit can be found here, this congregation, love and joy and peace and so on? I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's none of those. Maybe it's all of those and then some. The bottom line, though, is that it is clear that the church should shine, that the church should be the light of the world. 
and that its members should do all things without grumbling or disputing because we are to shine as lights in this world. That's the call of God to the church. But you know, it was also God's call to the Jewish people as well. The Jews, too, were God's treasured possession among all people. They were special and chosen. In holiness, they too were given the honor of being a kingdom of priests, and they too were were charged to be a light unto the nations. But that light did not shine as it should. They were nothing like a golden lampstand. And the artifact before you from the beginning of the lesson, it is not a Jewish Monument. It's not a Jewish monument commemorating the beauty of their people and religion. This is the Arch of Titus, which celebrates the Roman victory over the Jews, culminating in the notorious fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. Decades before Jesus prophesied of this tragedy, a divine judgment on the Jews on Jerusalem for its faithlessness, for failing to shine like they were supposed to. And so it is that the most respected depiction of the golden lampstand, it appears on pagan stone. A solemn reminder of what happens when God's people don't shine as lights. There's a group of Christians that I know that were failing to shine. And Jesus told them, I'm going to come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Unless you repent. And that's a big reason why we offer this invitation each and every evening when we come together because he's going to come in a season that many do not expect and we must repent before it's too late. If that is your situation tonight or if you need to be washed, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, We offer this invitation to you.